Warrior Woman, welcome back to the Warrior School Podcast. This is episode 192. We're on day five of 13. (laughs) Every time I say that, it kind of feels like I'm saying what day I'm on of my cycle. (laughs) Uh, But I'm not. Uh, (laughs) We're on podcast day five of 13, which means we have 10 days to go. And I'm actually going to talk about cycles today. Uh, Today, I want to talk about how hormones affect your training. And I'm actually going to do this in a three-part series. (laughs) I love myself a series uh, because I want to chunk it down because this is a big question that I was asked So I was asked to go through how our hormones affect our training. And for me, there's three parts to this. We can look at it in our menstrual years. So while we're cycling, uh, we can look at it during pregnancy and postpartum. And we can look at it during perimenopause and menopause. So I think there are four key seasons in a woman's life. So we have puberty, we have our cycling years, then we have pregnancy and postpartum and perimenopause and menopause. So I thought it would be really cool to break it down into three parts. So part one, we'll talk about how our hormones affect our training in our cycle years, our menstrual years. Part two, we'll look at it in our during pregnancy and postpartum. And then part three, we'll look at it during perimenopause and menopause. Uh, I'm actually sitting down today, which is a little strange. So I have a new podcast set up. So I'm in my chair uh, and it feels a little weird to sit down. For those of you that don't know, I stand up at my desk uh, all day for all of my calls, all of my work. Um, And so here I am sitting. So I kind of got chill vibes on (laughs) just curling up on my big chair here. So curl up with me or walk or drink a hot drink uh, or cook. Uh, Do whatever you normally do. Thanks for listening and let's talk about how our hormones affect our training. I've spoken about this before on the podcast and I will link uh, previous relevant podcast episodes in the show notes, but let's go through it. So when I was thinking about this question, the first thing that came up for me was growing up, I assumed that the menstrual cycle was just a few days of bleeding. It was about the period uh, and the blood. That's it. (laughs) I didn't really piece together the cycle part of it. And I didn't realize that there was a variation in our hormones, that there are changing levels of hormones throughout the cycle. Uh, And that it's one of the most important rhythms 
in our life are akin to, I guess, our circadian rhythm, which is our sleep-wake cycle, which is also really important. So our estrogen levels can actually increase fivefold over the course of the month, and they can create a very different physiological environment in our bodies uh, compared to males' bodies. Males' hormones are well, they remain relatively stable. So the menstrual cycle has two key phases, or we could break it down a little further and say four phases. So the first phase is the follicular phase. And within the follicular phase at the start, we have menstruation or the bleed, so the period. And then we have the second phase of that follicular phase or the second half And that is just before ovulation. Then the third phase is ovulation. The fourth phase is the luteal phase. And then we would cycle back around to the bleed if there wasn't um, uh, pregnancy. So let's look at the hormonal changes that happen during each phase of the menstrual cycle. And then we'll look at How do those hormonal changes affect our training during our cycle years? So during our cycle, estrogen can actually increase fivefold over over the duration of the cycle, which is pretty crazy. And then uh, it drops off and then progesterone comes on and is, uh, I guess, the... Um, the, the dominant hormone in the second phase of the cycle and then they both drop away towards the end of the cycle. So there is this rhythmic dance, uh, this hormonal dance that's happening during the whole cycle. So during this first phase of menstruation, uh, hormone levels are low. So this follicular phase, when we're bleeding, think of it as like a flat line in our hormones. The body is really busy shedding the endometrial lining of the uterus, and that's when the bleeding will start. The brain, however, sends signals to the ovaries to prepare a new batch of follicles, uh, and each of those follicles contains an egg. And this produces more estrogen to get ready for ovulation when an egg is released. So over the next 14 days or so, follicles mature, the uterine lining rebuilds and hormones like estrogen uh, rise until they surge. So FSH, follicle stimulating hormone, pulses for estrogen. And so then estrogen comes on stage. It peaks just before ovulation, triggering ovulation and the beginning of the second phase of the cycle, which is the luteal phase. Uh, Now the body shifts into a different mode, uh, which is to get ready for a possible pregnancy. So the, rem- the remnants of that follicle that released an egg begin producing progesterone and some estrogen. So estrogen will peak and then it will uh, decline just after ovulation before it actually rises again alongside progesterone. And so we call the second phase of our cycle the high hormone phase. So if an egg is fertilized uh, and implanted into the uterus, progesterone will remain elevated and then we enter pregnancy. 
If not, the hormones will drop uh, and then the uterine lining will start to shed. And that starts the cycle again. That starts the period. So that's a textbook version of the menstrual cycle. But the cycles don't always last 28 days, which uh, they classify as a textbook cycle, nor are they evenly split between the follicular and the luteal phases. So depending on the length of your cycle, what normally changes is the follicular phase of that cycle. The luteal phase will normally be around 12 to 14 days long. So if you have a shorter cycle, you'll potentially have a shorter follicular phase. If you have a longer cycle, you'll have a longer longer follicular phase. And that means that ovulation will move slightly depending on the length of your cycle. So someone with a shorter cycle may potentially be ovulating uh, closer to you know day 10 or 11 compared to day 14 someone with a longer cycle is going to ovulate a little bit later i say like a 35 day cycle so not only can the length of a cycle change but uh the a person cycle a woman cycle can change month to month too so my cycle this month could be slightly different to my cycle next month Now, what I found through tracking my own cycle over the last 10 years and working with hundreds of women is that the stronger we are metabolically uh, and if we're in our menstrual cycle years, the closer we'll be to that 28-day cycle. Uh, If we've got some stuff going on metabolically with our thyroid, our hormones, stress, uh, or if we've got something like endometriosis or PCOS, Uh, those things can impact a cycle and potentially uh, impact that length of the cycle. But what I've seen, the stronger we are metabolically is that we tend to sit pretty close to that 28-day, 30-day cycle length. But it can vary between women to women and it actually can vary between cycle to cycle within uh, one woman's life. So... What what impacts that length or what impacts, you know, my cycle this month um, to my cycle next month? Well, it can vary depending on our age. So where we are, you know, within our cycle years, the closer that we get to perimenopause, we might start to notice some differences, which we'll talk about in part three of this series. Stress is a big one. Lifestyle factors, environment, travel, um, you know, our food, even our race um, can impact uh, our cycle. So the menstrual cycle is really regulated by the brain and by the hypothalamus, which is found in the brain, and that controls our body's production of hormones. So when it's time for ovulation, the hypothalamus sets off a process to tell the ovaries to prepare an egg and to make estrogen and progesterone. So a woman's body is designed to reproduce. That's why we have a cycle. So the brain sends a signal to the ovaries for FSH to start pulsing for estrogen. Estrogen comes on stage to prepare the body for potential pregnancy. We ovulate. uh, Then uh, progesterone comes on stage 
And then if we are pregnant, progesterone will stay on stage as the main performer for the duration of the pregnancy. If not, uh, both hormones exit the stage and then we start our cycle again. Now, if we aren't eating enough or the body's under lots of stress, the brain says, "Uh, uh, 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 this is not a great time to get pregnant. We don't have the resources to do this. So what happens is that it slows down this pulse system. So FSH, the pulse gets slower. Uh, And then uh, LH, which is luteinizing hormone, which pulses for progesterone, that pulse system also gets slower. So potentially under times of stress or if we're not eating enough or if we're overtraining, that it the pulse system gets a little messed up and we potentially may not ovulate. Now we need to ovulate to produce progesterone. So ovulation really is uh, the most important part of the cycle. We don't actually need to bleed. Well, we need to bleed to shed the endometrium lining. It's an important process, but the star of the cycle is ovulation. So if we have irregular cycles, um, you know, your cycle is meant to arrive on time regularly, mostly without symptoms. And if it's not, if they get a little wacky, Uh, It's okay if it happens every now and then, but if it's a pattern of an irregular cycle, a painful cycle, a cycle that's not arriving on time or potentially not even arriving at all, there's something going on. And so there's something going on in the system. There is a stressor there telling the brain that we shouldn't be producing a cycle because we don't have the resources to support a potential pregnancy. Uh, Also, other health conditions and medications can also trigger irregular cycles and changes in cycles. Uh, So it's actually a very sensitive marker. So we talk about biofeedback a lot and it is truly your fifth vital sign. So if there's some stuff going on with your cycle, uh, it is an indicator of health or the strength of the nervous system. So stress, anything from travel to bad sleep to a bad breakup uh, affects our cycle. So under eating, over exercising or a combination of both can result in an energy deficit. So we call it low energy availability, which can also disrupt the cycle. And I've spoken about that before. So when the body detects that it's under too much stress, it prioritizes other important systems. Uh, important systems so like our nervous system our respiratory system and so it really shuts down this non-essential system for survival which is reproduction and what was once a very well choreographed dance (laughs) uh, of hormones is now going a little bit haywire and this haywire kind of patterning leads to these irregularities can lead to an ovulatory cycles, which is when a person doesn't ovulate. It could lead to short cycles, long cycles, um, heavy cycles, light cycles. And so this is when we start to see these symptoms come up. So we should have this well choreographed dance of hormones. And 
throughout the cycle, our hormones change, which can affect our physiology. It can affect how we use food as fuel. It can affect our temperature, our sleep, uh, our immune system, our response to stress. So when we look at training and the menstrual cycle, there are certain things that from a physiological perspective could potentially impact our training. Now, I've been tracking my cycle for over a decade. I've worked with hundreds of women who have also tracked their cycles. I've been following the work of Dr. Stacey Sims, Lara Bryden, and other really prominent uh, women and researchers in this space for over a decade. And I would say one of the biggest things that I've learned and I believe is that how well you fuel yourself and train and recover has a bigger impact on your training and health and performance than your menstrual cycle. And I really just got to say it again, how well you fuel yourself and recover has a bigger impact on your training than your menstrual cycle. So let's look at how our hormones could affect our training. So if we have these changing hormone levels throughout our cycle, our physiology changes the way we respond to food uh, and stresses, our immune system, that means that adjusting training sessions to leverage how our bodies respond to stress according to these fluctuations of our menstrual cycle can be important and can really support us when it comes to our training. But one thing Dr. Stacey Sims speaks a lot about is that it doesn't mean that there's a bad time of the month for performance and that we can really crank out a PR uh, or perform at any phase of our cycle. And this is a really important distinction because uh, performing performance and training are two different things. So performance is one point in time when you're like laying it all on the line. So uh, three of my warriors did three uh, really big squat PRs this week. And so I, I didn't ask them what day they were on, but potentially, you know, some of them could have been in that second phase of the cycle where maybe where we aren't as resilient to stress or maybe the body's not as good at pushing as hard, but they can lay it all on the line for that one squat because it's one moment in time. And yes, we may need to tweak our fueling strategy or our hydration depending on where we are in the cycle. Uh, and maybe that best effort or that squat felt a little harder if they're in the second phase of their cycle compared to the first phase, but we can absolutely perform our best regardless of where we are in our menstrual cycle. That's why studies show change, physiological changes at different phases of the menstrual cycle don't necessarily show significant changes in actual performance. So even if it feels harder, we can still get it done. We can still squat that heavy weight. Uh, though, of course, there can be exceptions to this. So some women who actually really suffer 
really bad PMS or heavy bleeding, uh, uh, it can impact our performance. But on the whole, when I look at my data collected through tracking my cycle, when I look at all of the women that I work with, when I look at the research, when I look at Dr. Stacey Sims' work, is that we can show up and perform any day of our cycle because performance is one point in time where we can lay it all on the line for that heavy squat or that heavy deadlift or that sprint uh, and That's why a lot of the research and a lot of the studies, they don't actually show significant changes in actual performance based on where we are in our cycle, because we can do it. We can show up and we can get the job done if we got to. But the reason why we speak uh, about training and the cycle is that there are different fluctuations that could impact our training. So that gives us an opportunity to tailor our training based on where we are in our cycle and based on what's happening in our body from a physiological perspective. All right, so (laughs) let's have a look at training and performance in each phase. So what, what I'll take you through is a bit of a guide, but knowing your body will be your most powerful tool. It is your superpower. So tracking your cycle, tracking your patterns is the most important thing for you to do. So you can read the research, you can look at all of the stuff on Instagram that tells you do this in this part of the cycle and don't do that in that part of the cycle. But the most powerful thing that you can do is track your own cycle, learn your own patterns, and then you can use some of these tools and strategies that we talk through today to implement at different phases of your cycle. So we're going to talk about the changing hormone levels at the different phases, how that could affect training. And then I'll give you some strategies that you can work through to support yourself in those phases of your cycle. So menstrual based phase training is a part of the female training foundation, but it is not the foundation. So when we're talking about this idea of how does our hormones affect our training, there are a lot of other things that come before looking at trying to train with our cycle. So I talk a lot about the female training foundation, and this is based on the work by Holtzman and Ackerman. And they were looking at the nutritional foundation for female athletes. So if we think of a pyramid at the base of that pyramid, uh, which is the bottom of our foundation, which is like priority number one, that is eating enough food. So getting enough calories in, sleeping our optimal amount, walking, getting sunlight, managing our stress, building our aerobic base. Then the next phase or step in that foundation is looking at the composition of our macronutrients. So how much protein, carbs, and fats we're eating, when we're eating them, are they spread evenly over the day? What's the composition of our meals look like? Uh, And we also want to look at 
creating a consistent strength training practice. So for a lot of women, we're under-muscled. We need to build more muscle mass. That's our active tissue. That's what really supports our metabolism and our hormones. Uh, And so we're looking at training in a way that builds muscle, builds strength, and that is through strength training, resistance training, lifting weights. So then we need to create that consistent training practice. From here, we can move up uh, our foundation or our pyramid and start to look at some other ways to train that can support our nervous system, our hormones, our metabolism, our bones, uh, our muscles. uh, And that is things like plyometrics and sprint interval training. Then we can look at menstrual phase-based training. And so it's quite high up on the pyramid. Uh, And I think that's a really important visual to hold in your mind when you're thinking about training with your cycle or training with your hormones. It is, it's not a priority. The priority is building a strong foundation, eating enough, balancing those meals, getting the composition right of your macronutrients, strength training at least three times a week, learning how to lift properly, building some muscle. Then we can look at adding in or sprinkling in other things. And one of those things we can look at is definitely tracking our cycles and learning our patterns and then implementing certain strategies. So it's not about not training or not pushing hard. It's just about understanding what's happening from a physiological perspective at the different phases of our cycle. So for example, knowing that our body has a higher stress resilience and tolerance up to and including ovulation, then it becomes less resilient to stress, especially with regards to our immune system, is an important and cool thing to know. Also, during our high hormone phase, so that second phase, our body is really busy building the uterine lining. So our metabolic rate actually comes up and our protein needs increase by, I think it's around 10 or 12% because we are building tissue. And so then in that low hormone phase, that first phase, Uh, estrogen is the dominant hormone and estrogen is anabolic. It's a build up hormone, whereas progesterone is catabolic. It's a breakdown hormone. Uh, And so there are some things going on physiologically that can possibly make it a little harder uh, when it comes to training Uh, The natural fluctuations of these uh, really powerful hormones also impact our exercise metabolism, the fuels that we burn and spare, our plasma volume levels, so which are related to our sweat, how well we tolerate the heat, uh, our blood sugar levels, our moods, our reaction time, our (laughs) coordination, our breathing rates, our muscle cell turnover and protein synthesis. And there's way more. So let's dig in and have a look at how we might um, adjust our training based on our hormones and where we are in our cycle. 
So week one, which is the early follicular phase, this is our low hormone phase. So our body is generally primed to take on stress and adapt well to heavy training, uh, heavy lifting, uh, high intensity uh, exercise. So this is a great time to do high intensity workouts. So HIIT training or SIT training, plyometrics, uh, heavy resistance training. And because our body has a greater capacity or resilience for stress, uh, it also can potentially recover well in this phase. So fueling wise, our body is actually really great at accessing carbohydrates when estrogen is high in this first phase. So we can take advantage of that, of, you know, being able to pull on the carbohydrates and send them to the muscles for energy. Uh, And so we can do uh, high intensity bouts of training. So when you're doing things like sprints, uh, lifting heavy, the body is using glucose. That's its primary fuel source. And so we can look at increasing carbohydrate intake to promote recovery and to really maximize those glycogen stores so we can use them for training. So we want to really be fueled well if we're going to go in and hit those high intensities and train hard and lift heavy. So making sure that we're eating enough, uh, that we're fueling well prior to training by eating enough carbohydrate and protein, and then we're recovering well after those intense sessions is really important. So remember, we want to bookend, as Dr. Stacey Sims talks about, our training, especially when we're in these periods of really training hard, hitting heavy loads, doing sit training. Then we have week two, which is that mid follicular phase. So it is, you know, from around day seven up and including ovulation. And when you look at the research and the advice Uh, And, you know, when I've spoken to Dr. Stacey Sims, it's very similar to the early follicular phase uh, where, you know, estrogen's there, she's on stage uh, and so she can support us. She's anabolic, building up, hitting those intensities, hitting those sessions, uh, just making sure that we're fueled well for that. So just before ovulation, we get this surge of estrogen. And so we get this anabolic surge. So this is another really great time for those high intensity, heavy resistance training sessions. Uh, What I have found in my work and uh, through tracking my own cycle is that sometimes I can feel flat around ovulation and other women experience the same thing. They're kind of on this high until they get to ovulation and then They lose their energy, they lose their mojo (laughs) uh, for a day or so. Um, And often it doesn't last for that long. I have worked with some women where from ovulation all the way through to the second phase of their cycle, they have a little bit more of a harder time with their energy, regulating their blood sugar. But often, you know, we just won't feel super bulletproof or have a lot of mojo for a day or so. Uh, And then... We can, um, you know, we get that little surge of energy back. Uh, But then some women feel the opposite. They actually get to ovulation and they're like extra (laughs) bulletproof and extra mojo-y. 
Uh, and so they, you know, they really love this time at ovulation because they feel quite amazing. And so take advantage of this if you are feeling extra amazing around ovulation. Uh, you, yeah, you can keep hitting those sessions, hitting those numbers, hitting the intensities. Uh, sleep has a really important role here, obviously. In that first phase, our core temperature is at its lowest. So when estrogen surges, uh, that's that point just before ovulation, core temp is the lowest, which can help us get into that deep restorative sleep. So if uh, you've tracked your cycle before, some of you may notice that towards, you know, in that second phase of the cycle, towards the end of your cycle, maybe more restless sleeps, you feel hotter, warmer, uh, and I wear a whoop. And so I notice that my HRV and my recovery in that second phase isn't as great as that first phase and my sleep quality isn't as good. It's still great. It's just not as good. So we want to be making sure all that that first phase, you know, from when we start to bleed all the way up to ovulation, that yes, we can hit our intensities, train hard, but we really want to be focusing on fueling well and recovering well. So eating enough uh, and getting in enough sleep. Then we ovulate and we enter week three, which is the early luteal phase. Now, the first couple of days in this phase are quite similar to the early follicular phase. And so we have this slight drop in estrogen again before it rises with progesterone. Uh, and then this is when the body starts to prepare the uterus for a possible pregnancy. Uh, but then uh, progesterone becomes the dominant hormone. And there are a few things that can happen in this phase that can make training feel a little bit harder. But remember, your superpower is fueling well and recovering well. So training in a way that works with your body. All right, so what's going on here? <laughs> uh, as we enter the mid-luteal phase, uh, what they have found is that our stress resilience, our tolerance to stress is a little lower. Uh, so we also uh, have an alteration in our immune system and we can be more pro-inflammatory and it can increase our sympathetic drive when we enter uh, this phase. And so talking to Dr. Stacey Sims on the podcast uh, and looking at some of the research, they do recommend more steady state aerobic workouts and moderate training. But remember, we want to stay out of the middle. And so what I found in my work is that it's it's a great time to train low, uh, but we can still hit uh, the top end training. We just need to make sure that we're nourished and that we're recovering well. There's also a little bit of a shift in our preferred fuel sources. So we want to make sure that we're eating enough carbohydrates at each meal so we have sufficient energy uh, and also our body is in a little bit more of a breakdown state. So progesterone, as I said, is catabolic. So we want to make sure that we get 30 grams of protein per meal uh, and especially post-exercise, so post-strength or resistance training. 
So progesterone's main job is actually to shuttle glucose and amino acids away from the liver and the skeletal muscle to build a lush, a lush environment, uh, <laughs> a lush endometrial lining. So this increases our energy needs slightly. So we may need to eat a little bit more food and it's only about 100, 150 calories extra, but Potentially, you've noticed that you get a little bit uh, more hungry around this stage, and it could be that there's a little bit of an increase in your metabolic rate. Then we have week four, which is the mid luteal phase uh, and reaching the end of our cycle, which will be when we bleed again if we don't become pregnant. So this is where women can have a hot, fun time uh, <laughs> and experience PMS, fluid shifts, bloating, cramping. Uh, and so we can put in certain strategies to support these things. What I will say is that PMS isn't normal. And as I said before, we should have a cycle that arrives regularly on time and mostly without symptoms. So if that's not happening, there is something going on potentially that we need to look at. So if you do experience a lot of PMS, actually training, doing exercise is extremely helpful because it gets the blood flowing and moving. I remember when I was training with my coach when I was doing Olympic weightlifting and if our sessions fell on the day of the first day of my period or like the last part of my cycle, we would still train as hard and he'd make me do a lot of ab work, especially on that first day of my cycle. Now, it didn't always feel great, but what happened is that I got so much blood flow through the abdomen, the pelvis, the uterus, you know, the ovaries. And then it's kind of like it flushed everything out. <laughs> I would bleed a bit heavier and kind of push everything through. And it really worked for me. And I have always trained on day one of my cycle. And uh, there is you know, a bit of research out there saying that actually, you know, getting, you know, getting into the gym, doing uh, training and moving actually really helps with PMS. But you can use those last few days leading into your next period as a time to focus on recovery and absorb that hard training if you feel like you need it. So you can train at that low end, uh, a little bit more in the last, you know, five to seven days before you start to bleed. Uh, so if you experience PMS symptoms, you can try and counter the inflammatory response because that's what it really is. It's just an inflammatory response that's happening in the body. Uh, and so we can try and bring that inflammation down. So big things that increase inflammation, not enough sleep eating a lot of inflammatory foods or drinking a lot of alcohol. Um, probably those two are my big ones. So reducing alcohol intake and making sure that you're sleeping enough. Uh, Dr. Stacey Sims does talk about a little bit of a concoction that you can use. I think she talks about uh, taking magnesium, zinc, omega fatty acids and aspirin 
or white willow bark, uh, but you'll have to check in with, I think it's in her book, The um, Roar, I believe. But really it's about managing inflammation. And so if you're doing things that are causing more inflammation, like not sleeping enough, uh, eating a lot of pro-inflammatory foods, I would start there. Um, And then potentially you could look at supplementation uh, to support you in that last phase. So I was asked a couple of other questions when it comes to hormones and training. So one was, I'd love to know the science behind why recoveries are significantly better during your period. So in that first phase, our low hormone phase, there is less hormone driven sympathetic drive. Uh, So our bodies are more resilient to stress. And after ovulation, with the rise in progesterone, there is a sympathetic dominance. And so that really reduces the ability to get into a parasympathetic state. But as I said, training during your period is one of the best ways to use your hormones to your advantage uh, because we can access carbohydrate better. We can hit high intensities. We can recover well from that training stimulus quickly because of the resilience to stress. Uh, Our immune systems are also more resilient before ovulation. So all of this um, helps with uh, that improved recovery during the first phase of our cycle and you can track that subjectively through you know measuring temp and pulse uh, subjectively tracking your sleep how you feel you know how you feel that you've recovered from the training or you can do it objectively so a lot of my women wear devices I've been playing around with a whoop device for nearly a year and so I have a bulk of data there and not always and I think this is what I'll say is that Some days, even in the first part of my cycle, my recovery has been crap. And that is because I've pushed too hard or I haven't eaten enough or I haven't slept long enough. And so coming back to this core, you know, this, I think this core, what do I want to call it? (laughs) Uh, Motto uh, is How well you fuel and recover has a bigger impact on your training and performance than your menstrual cycle. And so, yes, maybe on the whole, if we gathered up a whole bunch of women and we whacked a whoop on them, probably what we would find, uh, and don't quote me on this because I'm not running a scientific study, but what the research has found is that our recovery can be better in that first phase of our cycle. Now, you know, we need to be making sure that we've got a strong foundation. So you could be in the first phase of your cycle and not recovering well. So then you need to look at your food, uh, your sleep, your stress management. uh, And, you know, those things impact your recovery. Another question is, I would like to find out more about how the different phases of the menstrual cycle affects HRV and sleep and whether there is anything we can do to mitigate the effects. So I'm, you know, I'm not a huge HRV gal. Uh, Libby Westcombe, my dear friend, is really into HRV. But essentially, it's heart rate variability and it's a way to measure recovery. So in the low hormone phase or our follicular phase, our HRV is the highest. 
So REM and our like deep sleep are really easy to attain and sleep efficiency tends to be quite good in that first phase of our cycle. But after ovulation, as progesterone rises, there can be a change. So progesterone stimulates that sympathetic nervous system, thus increasing resting heart rate, uh, our respiratory rate, thus reducing HRV and reducing the ability to get into the parasympathetic state needed for that REM and that deep sleep. Um, that uh, restful sleep. So estrogen also comes into play during the luteal phase by working with progesterone to suppress this REM and increase wakeful episodes. So really to help ourselves in the luteal phase, especially the late luteal phase, good sleep practices are essential. (laughs) And I'm not saying this is for everyone. You know, I've had some great sleeps in the second phase of my cycle. I've had some really high HRV readings in the second phase of my cycle. Remember, there's more than just this cycle and our hormones as a variable when it comes to our recovery and our performance. It's just one variable. Uh, Okay, (laughs) I do want to talk about training and performing through PMS, but I feel like that can be a future podcast episode on its own. So we'll do that as a standalone. So that is part one of how our hormones might affect our training. Uh, And then part two, we will talk about hormonal changes during pregnancy and postpartum and how they might affect our training. And then part three, we're going to talk about perimenopause and menopause. Okay, warrior woman, uh, thanks so much for tuning in, for whacking me in your ears. Uh, If you want to go deeper on this, I've done a couple of episodes with Dr. Stacey Sims and I've also popped related podcast episodes in the show notes. So scroll on down and you can get access to those. All right. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you soon. See you real soon. Okay. Bye for now. Warrior Woman, thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you haven't, please give the podcast some love by subscribing now. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate it and share it with another warrior woman. Also, if you want to go crazy, I'd love if you wrote a review for the Warrior School podcast. And also share and tag me with your biggest takeaways for the episode on the gram. Okay, warrior woman, have a great week in training. Bye for now.